What's up, y'all? It's Colin. Hope everyone's staying safe and sane as we enter in a lot of places in the United States a month of quarantine. I'm with uh, your boy CK, Christian here. How you doing, man? Doing all right, man. Trying to hang in there, but uh, the time at home is definitely taking its toll. Yeah, you going a little stir crazy? Just a little bit, but, you know, just trying to feel blessed and stay humble. Yeah, man, you've been enjoying that rooftop a little bit? I've been getting some sun. Molly and I have been fucking around in the yard and stuff. It's definitely uh, nice to not be in, like, a tiny, dark studio, so I'm extremely thankful that I'm not in that (laughs) situation. Yeah, man, it's a good time to count your blessings, but I'm like you, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been vibing a little bit, but I'm, I'm getting, getting ready for it to be over. We had, we had a good podcast today, though. Why don't you tell them about the convo with Pascal? Uh, yeah, man, it was a great podcast. Uh, we had Pascal Hughley on, chief of research at uh, Schlossberg and Co. Management Wealth Company. And yeah, we talked about MMT, uh, where uh, Federal Reserve and United States monetary policy is going. And, you know, if it could potentially lead to a uh, bifurcation of the monetary base where you have or, or you know, uh, where you have people using soft currencies like the dollar fiat currency for certain like everyday expenditures and in certain aspects of the economy. And then you have them using uh, hard assets like Bitcoin and gold and other uh, parts of the economy, maybe large luxury expenditures or for uh, savings accounts. And it was a really cool conversation. I'm really excited for y'all to dig into it. Uh, but before we do that, we've got to give a shout out to our sponsors. First up is Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is an auto SAT stacking service <clears throat> uh, that allows you to seamlessly dollar cost average into Bitcoin um, with uh, ACH deposits to, uh, available in 49 states, super low fees, uh, lowest on the market. And I mean that. Uh, if I'm wrong, someone fact check me. Pretty sure that's right. Check them out. Awesome service. Know the guys personally. They're good, uh, you know, true Bitcoiners. Swanbitcoin.com. Sign up. Start stacking sats for low fees today. Awesome. Next is eToro. So eToro, they've been sponsoring a ton of different podcasts and content creators in the space. Uh, and they wanted to sponsor WTF because we're educating people about what is happening with our money and why we need to look at an alternative, a plan B. eToro, for those of you who don't know about them, they started off as a traditional financial company and they quickly saw the benefits of Bitcoin and they incorporated Bitcoin into their model. Um, And since then, they've been full steam Bitcoin and crypto. So in the US, they have the number one trading app. They have, it's a one-stop shop. You can buy and withdraw your Bitcoin. You can trade it. You can go copy trade. You can buy shit coins if you want. We don't recommend that here, but it, it's, it's everything you want in a trading platform. For those of you who want to trade, check out eToro, eToro.com. All right, y'all. Well, uh, let's go ahead and dive right in. Hope you enjoy it. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the next episode of What the Fuck is Happening with the Fed. I'm your host, Colin Harper, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Pascal Hughley, all the way from Switzerland. How you doing, Pascal? Hey, Colin, I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. How's the pandemic in Switzerland? Well, yeah, we're all uh, like stuck at home as well. You know, our government also told us to stay home, but it's kind of loose. Like so many people are actually not following the orders, you know. And I mean, Switzerland is still like really cautious when it comes to that kind of thing. You know, I mean, the government wouldn't like ban going out completely or something because they know we are still like 
free thinkers, maybe more than in other governments. So it's, it's actually good currently. That sounds a lot like some of the reactions in the South, like in Tennessee, our governor has, uh, you know, issued a stay at home order, but no one's really following it. People are still going out. They're wearing masks and things, right? And they're trying to social distance, whatever that means. Uh, but you're also starting to see kind of what you were saying. The government doesn't really want to piss off people off too much. You're seeing in the UK and Kentucky, one governor has uh, really kind of overstepped. It's either a governor or a mayor. I think it might be a mayor. They overstepped her bounds and some of the local police force aren't really, are, are saying they're not going to comply with some of her uh, mandates, which is interesting. Uh, yeah. you, you don't really see stuff like that very often. Trying, we also have police like trying to carry out orders, but sometimes they're even laughing about it themselves. You know, they're coming up to and like, uh, okay, just, yeah, never mind. And they're going away again. So even they don't really care. So. Yeah, man. I mean, it's crazy times. Um, sure it is. And that's part of the reason why we're uh, having you on to talk today. Before we kind of get into MMT and the subject of the podcast today, I kind of want you to give your background and well, uh, what brought you to Bitcoin, what your interests are with Bitcoin and macro finance? No, like originally I was just like a student of Austrian economics, you know, way back at school or in university. You know, I actually studied like politics and, and economics and I didn't really get to know that there's another school of thought, you know, with the Austrians. So I, my free time, I started studying them, you know, and then, uh, yeah, at some point I also discovered Bitcoin, you know, and I thought, oh, that's really interesting, something is trying to put all this theory that I've been learning into practice. And then as many people, I didn't just dive right in from the start. You know, I was kind of skeptical first. And then I didn't buy my first Bitcoin until like 2016. But then, yeah, I got ever more deeper into it. And nowadays I find it so fascinating, you know, that we have like, yeah, now that the world's getting ever more crazier, you know, or, or getting ever crazier, I think uh, it's all good that we have that tool at our disposal, you know, because otherwise I'm not, really uh, i don't really know if i could stay that sane without it and we'll we'll get into i think that idea of the alternative later with our uh, kind of theory on the bifurcation of the monetary or of, of monetary system and monetary bases and, and 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 monies and currencies but to kind of pivot to what we want to focus on for the podcast mmt modern monetary theory we were talking a little bit about it on the phone and uh, it's something that's starting to become more and more relevant because we're starting to see kind of the foundations of it and some of what a, central banks and the Federal Reserve is starting to do to support financial markets. You had some interesting theories on the phone. So to kind of start our conversation, can you give our listeners a rundown of what MMT is Maybe, and talk about what you were uh, saying to me on the phone yesterday, how, how you know, this theory is people think it's new, but it's actually been around for quite some time. Yeah, sure. No, I've been studying MMT for quite a while because I also work as a research officer at Schlossberg uh, and Co., uh, which is just like, yeah, money manager at the end of the day, you know, but we're focusing on how the world changing so that we can like allocate our stuff accordingly, you know. And there I've been really reading up on, on all, all the history and of money and you come across like MMT, you know, and the, the really interesting thing that it, it wasn't called MMT like many years ago, you know it's only now that they call it modern monetary theory, but actually it's not really modern. It's, it's already like 200 years old. We had back in, in Germany, we had like an economist, uh, he was called uh, Georg Friedrich Knapp. And he was a German economist and he was actually the one who the first time like systematically, I would argue, 
really laid out that theory. You know, it's called the state theory of money. And there he, he argues uh, that money, as many other people were looking for it, what is money? He just bluntly said, look, it, it's, it's as easy as that. And money is just a creature of the state. And so he like kicked off a real debate that was going on back then also with the Austrians, you know, for example, Karl Menger was an opponent of his and, and they had some really great uh, fights, you know, Karl Menger being the, the founder of the Austrian school, you know, and already back then, you know, like many people were saying, um, this is just weird, you know, and, and it's just hilarious. You can't really argue that because back then the state wasn't that developed. It was just a lot weaker than today. And obviously when you look at it from today, like, um, there weren't really good arguments speaking for MMT, you know. And so let's let's kind of define a little bit what MMT means. The 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 statement that always comes to mind for me that I think beautifully encapsulated is the United States government can buy anything priced in its currency. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you go back, as as Knopf uh, argued, it's uh, money is a creature of the state, you know. And then it's it's money is uh, is like or the government is is monetarily sovereign. Whenever he can uh, print his own currencies, he can buy anything with his own currency. As long as his debts or its debts are in his own currency, he can always pay back his or its debts. You know, so this is also something we have to keep in mind. But uh, eventually, it's just saying that you want to merge fiscal and monetary policy at, at one point because nowadays. Like the system is that you still have like private banks, you know, you have like a whole financial system. And whenever a state wants to go into debt and wants to spend money, he, he needs to go or the government needs to go to the market, the private market. And there he needs to place his debt, you know, and that is actually what NFT wants to do away with. You know, they're just saying, let's just put the Fed and like fiscal and, and monetary policy in one thing united, you know, and then the state can do whatever he wants and uh, has no boundaries anymore. And I think that is really what it's about. I mean, people often are confused and saying, yeah, so what are we paying taxes for? You know, and MNT guys are saying, well, taxes are not here to fund the government. They're only here to like actually, you know, steer and manage everything. But Texas, uh, like a state can do uh, completely without taxes because he can just finance himself just the way he wants, you know. So that's actually in a nutshell what MMT is about. Federal governments and their central banks can basically assume any debt that they want because they can buy anything that's priced in their currency and they don't have to worry about defaulting on debt because they're the government. Like you were saying, money is a creature of the state. The currency that the government controls is completely sovereign. They can do what they want with it, buy whatever they want because they control the currency. Um, yeah. and, and, it basic, and, and you're starting to see the roots of this being laid with this idea of perhaps the Federal Reserve will start buying all types of assets that are already opening liquidity valves for just about everyone even people in foreign markets. Um, who knows what they'll start buying when things get really bad. True, I mean, nowadays you don't have in the market, you know, the Fed, it actually puts a backstop to everything, you know? So uh, like everything just ultimately depends on the Fed. You know, I would argue uh, some time ago, it was really the case or people thought of that whenever state um, wants to go into debt and it wants to finance stuff out in the economy, it has to use its banks, you know, it has to place its, its government bonds in the hands of private bankers who then like buy these and they give credit to the state and eventually they also get paid for that, you know, but there's always this intermediary level, you know, uh, and so you never had like the, the state really directly financing everything. But nowadays that the Fed, you know, uh, on behalf of the state starts really financing and monetizing everything, you know, and at the end also takes all the government debt on its balance sheet, you know, 
then some MMTers just argue, hey, what's the what's the deal of all this? We could just do away with all this because uh, we wouldn't need all the bankers anymore, all these private institutions, the bankers only enriching themselves. You know, we could just have the state on its own finance everything all these banks. And we were talking about this uh, yesterday about how, per the Cantillion effect, uh, part of the reason why the Federal Reserve System is so broken right now is because all of that wealth gets dammed up and absorbed by the first injection point, which is the big banks and all of their corporate lines. And um, as, as we've said, and others have also said, you could just give that money directly to the the people and ignore the bailouts and you know have a bankruptcy process and have someone buy the assets. But uh, obviously, that's not how it goes. Well, yeah, I think well, that's really an argument that's going to resonate with many people. You know, as you said, I mean, you have this counting the effect, you know, which is also by a really great economist, the Austrian school, who described really that money is going into the economy and it first hits like the banks and all the people close to, to where money is, is issued, you know. And so you, they, they, on the way that the money trickles down, you know, into the economy, like all these banksters and private people, they are really enriching themselves, you know, and I think especially the left, you know, is criticizing that for years. And we also see like the scissor between like poor people and rich people. I mean, there are and, richer and ever more, you know. We're talking yesterday about how you pointed out how some of what MMT proponents are saying and some of what Bitcoiners and Austrians are saying are actually agreeing on certain problems. They're identifying the same problems, but the solutions are different. And I, I was talking about as well, this idea that I think a lot of people on the left, especially, you know, a lot of Austrians, libertarians often get paired on the right side of the political spectrum. You know, we kind of get typecasted as being cranks, but the left is pointing out a lot of the problems that we're pointing out. They're just kind of not totally understanding what the solutions could be or where the real source of the problem is. Anyway, I, I thought that was an interesting point that you had about MMT proponents and, and Austrians thinking similarly about the same thing. Yeah they're really close when it comes to analysis you know they, they identify the same problems but then when it comes to solution that they're going directly like opposite ways you know i mean austrians and bitcoins they want to go more into the money needs to be scarcer because that's why we have these problems in the first place because money is not scarce and i mean mm tailors they are going the other they're going down the other way saying no money needs to be even more loose even less scarce and that's why we need to pump even more money into so there you then see like the bifurcation and, the, and also the, the divergence of these two theories. But in the analysis, yeah, they're quite uh, close to each other. Fiat is not just about trust. You, you have this thesis that you really kind of wanted to highlight. And I think this is kind of a good segue for what you were just talking about, you know, just like pumping more dollars into the system. Because as we were talking about, it's all about liquidity right now. And that's mm -hmm. ca cash is king because of that liquidity profile. Yeah, you can really see this right now, you know, our system is so leveraged up, you know, so everyone is like really scrambling for liquidity and it's really going after liquidity, you know, but my argument, I mean, I, I'm often talking to people also like from, from the Austrian side and sometimes even from, from M&T side and they all tell me or like just normal people just tell me, look, money, it's all just an illusion and it all, it's all only based on trust, you know, I think whenever we lose trust, like money loses all its value. I would argue it's not only about trust. What, what these people miss is that uh, today's money, even fiat money, it's, all, it's also a lot about incentives. You know? And what I mean is that um, there's a demand for dollar because there's so much dollar debt. People actually have an actual demand because they got to service their debt. And also it's the way that like nowadays uh, when money is issued, when government bonds are issued, that then trickles down because like money gets into the system. I mean, there are private investors buying these 
these bonds, you know, with an incentive to profit, you know, and, and so you always have like a, a backstop of people buying um, that, that uh, fiat money and, and also the debt behind it because they want to profit because the state can just loot. Uh, you know, so like as a private investor, you can benefit in the state's looting of your fellow citizens and yourself. And uh, that's a great incentive today for many people. And I think when, when that falls away, because MMT is just, it's not going to the market anymore and it's just finances everything by itself without debt anymore. Then I think uh, we actually have this problem that this whole incentive structure that today is really distorted, but still kind of, I would say, keeps up the whole system as well. If that falls away, then money uh, becomes even more based on trust. And then I would argue that's not really great for MMT because uh, then, uh, as we know, there's no much uh really no no value left and you know when you're talking about money being about incentives well when the average american especially thinks about their stimulus check and the idea that maybe they'll get more you know maybe what the democrats are talking about two thousand dollars a month maybe that will happen right and if you're talking about an incentive system and what you were talking about earlier about you know people will like this people will like hearing hey instead of the banks getting money you will get the money and they will back it and they will be for it and, and, and at first, it will be a sweet deal and they will like it. Once, once the, the inflation really kicks in, the trust in the currency will be broken because their purchasing power will be eroded. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good argument. I mean, it's just like the sweet pie that you're becoming, but you're not really recognizing that it's full of like poison, you know, and you're just tasting it and you're saying, wow, it actually tastes really good. But in the end, once MMT really gets like on the ground, you know, and it gets implemented the way MMT want it to be, then the money system fundamentally changes on the ground on, on a really basic level, you know, and then I would argue you would really have the state just issuing all the currencies, you know, dashing it out to all the people and they would maybe initially like it, but then would uh, recognize ever more that money gets ever more soft, you know, and that's not a good thing. And yet productivity and everything is being lost because your money loses value even more than today. And you will then see all the, the bad consequences like later on, in the, like down the road, you know, and that will people, yeah, that will drive them away, you know, I would argue. I do kind of want to return to this this idea. It's becoming clearer to the average citizen, not just in America, but in you know the the world at large, that obviously the system is unjust. Both sides of the spectrum, the left and the right, are saying it's unjust. They're coming to different conclusions about how to how to fix it. Once the Fed really starts ramping up the printers for everyone, you know what ends up happening to the money supply, what ends up happening to people's perception of money? You know, do, will we actually finally see this flight into Bitcoin and harder assets like gold? Well, I would argue for sure. I mean, I, I really think it's going down the route of that we're having two, two different systems that are really driving or like, like diverging apart, you know? I mean, uh, I think the only project that could really unite a big mass uh, amount of people would be a state, you know, like a good, well-behaved state that was really like well acted out by people 
could potentially do this. And this was always the project of the state. You know, the government would unite all the people along one unified goal. But nowadays, I mean, uh, government is so like distorted. And uh, as we said, uh, like the money is distorted. So government, uh, there's just the baddest incentives ever or like the worst incentive ever. So it's not going to happen, you know, that a state will be great enough and, and will have the power to u unite the people back under one umbrella, you know. So I think there you will have ever more two groups like diverging out into their own worlds, you know, and you will have the world of soft money, you know, the state run money. Uh, and you will also have the world of like the hard money. And I think there Bitcoin will really play a big part, you know, with this whole new idea, the whole financial system that can be like built upon Bitcoin to really then have a new system in a new world. And I think people will just go back and forth, you know, whenever they uh, got to go back to the old system, the soft uh, state run money system, they will go there and have some of their expensive state run money. You could conceivably imagine um, a, a future where the government is paying universal basic income to its citizens and they use this universal basic income to pay for things like rent, to pay for things like perhaps groceries, basic necessities. And then, as you said, they have their hard money uh, and an entirely different financial system that complements this hard money and a different monetary base that they use for other things, perhaps high dollar expenditures and and uh, planning for the future and things like that. Yeah, I think like all the smart entrepreneurial people, you know, that have some entrepreneurial spirit left and that also have some like courage to, to go the second mile, you know, they will discover Bitcoin and they will find that they're uh, for some purposes, like you said, like savings and, and just like projects that are really of meaning, you know, uh, they will be financed in that world, you know, and they will be uh, like really built in that world. And the other system is just going to be a really sad system. It's just still going to be there, you know, just like back then at the church, you know, that church now is still uh, also there. But I mean, it's it's just one of many uh, great uh, institutions that we have, you know, and I think the state will really lose uh, much of its power because it's just going to be one among many and uh, yeah, I think there will be a problem that it will see that people will pass its currency just as fast as they can get rid of like a, like a hot potato, you know, and only use it when they need to. One thing that I've kind of been harping on is America has seen record unemployment so far, um, but I don't even, we haven't even seen the worst of this crisis. And I think one thing that you're going to see is like once the emperor is truly naked, a lot of uh, what people would call cranks, a lot of what they've been saying for the past decade will, will, will be seen by people to be some, some sort of truth, right? Or, or, or it'll, be, it'll be verified and they'll, they'll be kind of uh, vindicated for, for these beliefs that everyone called fringe for so long. Because people think about our system and, and they don't think that perhaps this system is experimental. Uh, and we're about to see a very experimental system once MMT truly takes hold. And one thing that I really want to be on the lookout for, and I wanted to see if you have anything to comment on, what happens when the Federal Reserve, like what happens if, if we do get this digital currency system and that people can just open bank accounts directly with the Federal Reserve? Yeah, I think that would also be like uh, something that's uh, really, as you said, that we need to look out for, because it's also a logical step, I would argue, in the end, you know, that it's also like you have like a whole theory on that, the sovereign money theory, you know, which is kind of 
like aligned with MMT. These guys sometimes they look at it a little different, uh, more different. But I mean, eventually it comes down to the same thing, you know. And there you would really ha also have like a state issuing money, distributing directly to all the people. They could also like circumvent banks, you know. So commercial banks wouldn't need be needed anymore. Eventually, if you have that system, you know. Um, as you already know, and many of the listeners are probably aware, you know, if it's a digital currency that is being planned, I mean, the government can more easily control its citizens then because, you know, you have like the perfect surveillance means at your hand, you know. And I would also think that when government is the only or like like a government bank is the only institution that issues money, you know, government will become even more politicized, you know. I mean, then lobbyists and, and just people who really want to, at the lever, you know, who want to be the ones that can decide where the money goes, because I would think that even in that system, government would not just hand out money to everyone, you know, it would still be a fight for money. And I think this fight will just be really, will be um, greater. And as I said, everything will just be politicized. And I think that's not a great development. And uh, you will see that cultural like divides and, and, and riots on the streets, because like everything is getting more like uh, like politicized and, and also ideologies that are being strengthened along the way, you know? And I think that's not a good sign. Yeah, as Nick Carter says, if you're not radicalized, you're not paying attention. Yeah, which I exactly. think it's just like a <laughs> a great a great take on it. Um, also just like a pretty pithy statement. Um, but people yeah. really are starting to pay attention, I think. And this is something that what you were just saying, I was talking to my dad about a year ago when I was really trying to like, cause you know, I got into Bitcoin after I graduated college and um, I'd always known about it and always thought it was pretty cool, but it never had time to really fuck with it and just never paid it any mind when I was in university. And um, I got into it after I graduated, started writing about it. And, uh, you know, my dad understood it because I'd always talk about it with him. I was really trying to make him understand why it's important. And one of the things that really made it click for him was when I said, when the Federal Reserve starts, like when the Federal Reserve controls your bank account, you're going to wish you had Bitcoin if you don't. Um, yeah. And that was, that's what really made it click for him. And I think that's going to make it click for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Some will be fine with it. I think a lot will not. That's what I also find so uh, like fascinating about Bitcoin, you know, because it's just like an organical or an, or an like, organic adoption that is happening, you know, because people are start wondering and they start asking questions. And then because oftentimes with government and fiat money and all these systems pushed upon, you know, it's, it's imposed on you because it's a, by some kind of coercion in the end, I would argue. And with Bitcoin, it's just the other way around. I've been talking to many friends for years and in Switzerland, we still uh, have the luck of having it really great compared to like our neighbor countries. And then people always come up to me and say, hey, why do I need Bitcoin for? Everything is fine, you know? But maybe at some point things aren't gonna be fine anymore. And we're seeing already signs of that, that it's all over the world, it's gonna get tougher. And whenever you're uh, like then confronted with these tough things, tough consequences and stuff, you will start asking questions and that will really drive yourself to towards things like Bitcoin. And that's why I find it so interesting. You know, it's an organic way of, of, of growing, you know, and that's also how we're going to see ever more adoption of Bitcoin. It's not imposed on us, but it's really, yeah, eventually you could argue it's imposed by the state because he's just the one doing all the mess, you know, and then we have to somehow flee, you know, into Bitcoin. But uh, I think still it's, it's really coming out of your own uh, interest you have you want to all right and as you said you know if money is about incentives then bitcoin is the king of incentives uh yeah. and eventually you know we haven't seen it yet 
but you're not going to see, you know, basically monetary subversion happen overnight. But when, when eventually Bitcoin does start holding against all the chaos, we're, we're not going to seem as crazy. I think the day is coming, man. Uh, I can't wait for the day that I can pin the op-ed. It finally happened. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm getting a little too ahead of myself. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm also sometimes like really having in my thought, you know, oh, how it's going to be like if Bitcoin is really going to trump everything. And I, yeah, well, I'm a little, sometimes I also have to caution myself, you know, I mean, it's not going to solve every and each problem, you know, but still, I mean, I, as I said before, before we started recording, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that Bitcoin exists, you know, because otherwise I would uh, know if I could still stay that sane, you know, uh, without it, because it's, it, it really is a force that gives you hope in this uh, really rundown system. So, uh, but still, I mean, it's, it's probably not going to be, yeah, the, uh, the end as well, you know, I mean, uh, humanity is ever going to progress uh, and Bitcoin is just one big part in it, you know, and that's the interesting thing. Are you or were you a gold bug before you got into Bitcoin? Yeah, well, I, I mean, originally, whenever you like, um, like deal with Austrian theory, I mean, you're also getting into gold, you know. And uh, yeah, I, I liked gold before. I mean, it was also back in university, you know, and I didn't have any money to then really put into gold, you know, as many young people don't have, you know. But uh, theoretically, I was really, really on gold, you know. And uh, I mean, still nowadays, I would argue... Yeah, you have to still diversify your portfolio, you know, because uh, as you argued, our system, uh, our system today is also doing a huge use experiment. This is also why you should really like, um, yeah, get out of uh, fiat, maybe not completely. That's uh, also obvious, I would argue, because just put your eggs in as many uh, baskets as possible, you know, and there I think Bitcoin, gold and some other real values, you know, also brush up on your knowledge. This is probably the best like investment that you can do. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's why I've always also been fond of gold, but as a, as a matter of diversification. Now, is there anything in your research uh, that, you know, you've seen uh, and any trends that you've kind of keyed in on that you're kind of like looking at or kind of keeping an eye on? Well, I mean, it's really what we talked about, you know, as, as money managers, eventually, we just want to see where things are going, you know, because in the end, we want to like, yeah, how would I say, like protect our assets, you know, the assets of our clients. And I think uh, it's in times like these, it gets ever more tougher. But it's also really interesting, you know, I would argue, but still, I mean, you have to be like, uh, today, it seems kind of like you have to hold everything, uh, but at the same time, you don't want to hold uh, anything, you know, because you never know uh, which way it's going to go down, you know. And uh, I mean, as we see with this crisis, also, we had to switch into government treasuries in the end, because that's what saves us a lot of money, you know. But still, I mean, in our research, we never want to rule out the case that maybe one day government bonds, which are the risk-free asset of our today's system, are maybe not going to be worth anything anymore. So you also have to diversify. And that's why we also already are looking at Bitcoin. Not that we, as a professional money manager would put all our uh, eggs into Bitcoin, but still, um, that's why uh, also great research is really important that you can stay uh, on top of the curve. Right. Bitcoin is a hedge. Is that starting to come up more and more with money managers, like in, in the circles that you run with? Are you starting to see that? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, that's what we're seeing. You know, I mean, we had big discussions now, you know, because Bitcoin dropped. So in the crisis, many people said, oh, Bitcoin is not being the safe haven, what everybody expected it to be. But I mean, the smart people already knew that Bitcoin, just because it actually reacted the way it shows that it's already this asset, you know, which is highly liquid and that you can liquidate into the market like immediately to cover all your other margin calls, you know, and this already shows that to smart people that Bitcoin is developing into this uh, really a great, I would say, safe asset, you know, that is really another risk-free asset, you know, um, in, a, in a new system, which is the Bitcoin system, you know. I think that's uh, something that we've compared to like three or four years ago. I mean, people, they were still a lot more skeptical, but nowadays, I mean, people look at Bitcoin really with that eye, you know, of seeing it as a potential, maybe a speculative asset that could be like potentially become this really safe haven, but they're already considering that. And I think that's really interesting. And also many young people, you know, that approach us and they want to invest and they, the first thing they say is just, hey, I want to go into Bitcoin, you know, and, and because that's uh, what I want. And then the other things that I can come afterwards you know? and that's also really interesting because with older people it's sometimes the other way around and with the younger folks it's uh, really bitcoin first and then the other one other thing second you know for sure man and i think that you know it's only going to become more relevant in the portfolios of some of these of the clientele of these wealth managers because you know millennials and zoomers will get it um gold bug boomers get it which is nice but it, it's just really exciting right now. I think one of the themes throughout this podcast series has been, you know, a lot of the stuff that the Austrians have been screaming about for decades is really kind of starting to come to pass. And, I mean, what a time to be positioned with it, with Bitcoin, you know, going into another happening, um, a lot of narratives at play and everyone's just watching and waiting to see what's going to unfold. Uh, I mean, we're really undergoing a paradigm shift. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, the narratives are really strong. That's what you said. You know, I mean, what I find so interesting is this mimetic pull force that you see around Bitcoin. You know, like everybody is really it's this really this FOMO thing, you know, that we saw in 2017, 2018. But already now before the halving, I have just friends coming up to me and just telling me, hey, should I invest in Bitcoin? I think this question is going to be like the most uh, relevant. Same, man. I've had more interest from friends than ever before. And I'm seeing people on Twitter say the same thing. And like one of my buddies who I've been talking about Bitcoin with for a while said, I want to, like he said, help me buy Bitcoin. I want off this hot air balloon. Yeah, and I sure. said, well, damn it, buddy. If that doesn't just sum it up. But it's kind yeah. of crazy how many accounts there are of that. Yeah, that's yeah, been growing. And I think that's not going away, you know. It's not that it's just one-time fad, you know. And uh, I mean, people now know that Bitcoin is here to stay and it's not here to stay, it's here to grow, you know. And that's what I find so interesting. So the most defining question will be, I think, of, of this uh, decade and maybe in the next one will be, do I have to Bitcoin or when to buy Bitcoin, you know. And that's, uh, that's also what's making me kind of bullish on, on the asset, you know. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, Pascal, thanks so much for coming on. This has been an absolute delight. Uh, where can people find you on social media and uh, read some of your writings and other research and stuff? Yeah, sure. Well, we are. I'm, I'm personally on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, Pahuk, P-A-H-U-E-G. That's where you can find me. And yeah, you can also uh, find us on our webpage. It's uh, slossbragco.com. 
yeah, there you can find all our research, but maybe the best way you just follow us on Twitter and that, or me on Twitter and you will see everything we post. We have some really great things coming up, how to really understand the financial system, you know, in a, in a way people can understand it because that's what I figured out many a times. It's just on a real height that people don't really understand. So they turn away and we want to bring Bitcoin and all the other things to the people and really explain it like many other people do that. And I think, uh, yeah, that's really what we have to do. So. Yeah, just uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'd be delighted. And y'all can find me on Twitter um, and uh, with my name, Colin Harper, 1L, uh, or at As I Lay Hodling. And thanks for tuning in, y'all. And uh, catch us next week. Take it easy. Stay well, everybody. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. Mm-hmm.